0: Welcome again to the Alia Podcast. This is our second attempt at doing an episode on <clears throat> the wonderful album by The 1975. Our first attempt, I um, very much screwed up. And so my apologies for the delay in us releasing the episode. And also...
1: Yeah, our devoted listener is going to be pretty upset about that. So we, we apologize to you, listener. Well,
0: they, they should be. Um, they, this, that missing episode... <laughs> will for, forever go down in the Alia mythology as um, the greatest episode that never was. It was <laughs> it was pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's it's like all great works, Lost and things like the Library of Alexandria. It It's one that they'll talk about for ages, for sure. And,
0: and actually, quite conveniently, um, the album we're discussing today is... Uh, entitled Notes on a Conditional Form, and, and very much that episode was our conditional form that never quite came into being. Um, Only conditional. So, Peter made me listen to this album, this 1975, that was... It was atrocious. It was... Um, I, I did not enjoy it. And when he first recommended <laughs> it to me, I, I didn't realize it was that there's some meta interest or something there. I thought he was just like, no, man, this this is some good music you should listen to. And I, I was doubting his uh, taste for, for a bit there. But Peter, what was it that inspired you to talk about this?
1: So I do have pretty bad taste, so I don't know if, if you should be giving me that much credit yet. Um, but for a little bit of context, the 1975 is an English rock and roll band, um, led by frontman Matty Healy. Um, this is their fourth album, I believe. Yeah, their fourth studio album, um, that they released all since 2013. Every single album has had, like, a ton of really, really positive critical reception, um, and I never really quite got what they were about. It never did it for me, um, and their newest album, Notes in a Conditional Form, is widely considered by by those same critics who love them, which is all the critics, apparently, uh, their best work. Um, it is an hour and a half long, consists of four, uh, 22 songs um, that go through a really wide range of genre changes and different sounds and weird stuff going on that doesn't really fit together as an album, but they all kind of squeeze together into one thing. Um... So I was really interested in this as kind of a case study for what exactly music is doing right now, and music criticism, and what the hell is happening. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about the album before we dive into the the more meta
0: stuff? Or yeah, what you think um, I at the very least, I think it's worth mentioning the way they chose to open up the album. And that is with like an eight minute or so track that is Greta Thunberg. It's, it's not even five minutes long. No, like, yeah, no, 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 time. no, It is,
1: it, it is, <laughs> it is four minutes and 56 seconds. I'm looking at the time. Really?
0: Right now. <laughs> okay. Cause my first, yeah, it feels long was to say 20 minute long song <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, no it feels it, long a, a Greta Thunberg's speech about the future and science and life set to like cascading synthesizers and a drum beat and it's kind of dancey but also kind of symphonic and it, it just tries to sound futuristic and optimistic and and it's weird It's it's without um much explanation. There, there's some liner notes that are put in uh, in the Apple Music edition that try to explain it, but they call the song the 1975. Uh, Obviously, which that's what they they call the
1: opening track on all of their records. The 1975. Really, I
0: didn't know that. That's that's yeah. strange. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it, it's particularly <laughs> ill fitting for this. Uh, I I think, but man, I um. Probably a fault of my own. I've never been really interested or engaged with um, Greta's activism. I, I I, I, think what she's doing is impressive. But it seems like to her, a lot of the people who, who uh, boost her or applaud her have this weird... And, and I think we're going to see this as we discuss the album the way they approach the topic and her her calls for science to me seems like it has to be i i couldn't say the same things about her or have her testify in front of congress in a way that wasn't cynical but but people supporting her are very very earnest in doing so um and it it, it confuses me a little bit to be honest
1: yeah, I think that earnestness is what you touched on here that really gets the core of of the 1975's project, in a way, is this sort of complete lack of irony, this total lack of irony and also, in a way, self-awareness. So they consider themselves an overtly political band. Their most popular song is off their last record called Loved If We Made It, uh, was the name of the song, uh, and it's like an overtly political, anti-Trump anthem like it's really like it's it's a good song uh it's it's uh, poppy it's catchy it's it's good but it's very overtly political so i think them opening their album with something like this is kind of a nod to that activist streak that they see they have and i think they're it's done totally unironically and totally with the idea that as if anybody listening to no, uh, notes on a conditional form front to back is going to be swayed by the five-minute-long Greta Thunberg speech. You know, it, it's this sort of almost wide-eyed anti-cynicism that I think a lot of the critics kind of pick up on and connect with, uh, but I think kind of needs a little bit more examination. I don't think we can quite accept it as just that, because it just seems so bizarre, you know? Yeah, it
0: it... It, it is... It is bizarre, and I, I don't really get what the purpose is. It, it seems to be... I mean, what, what value is there to having a speech like that open up an album? It's, I, I don't think it's particularly artistic. It doesn't seem to go musically with the rest of the album, although the musicality of it's very jarring and all over the place. I... And I don't think their listeners are people who uh, particularly doubt climate change or aren't, aren't huge fans of Greta all, already. So I, I don't get the, that value of it. But I do have... I, I think... I... I, so I,
1: I, <laughs> uh, I think that another thing that kind of makes it seem so strange is that it's not a particularly original move even, so, like include a sample of a politician's speech, you know, uh, I'm sure the number of rap songs that include samples of Louis Farrakhan is probably in the hundreds. You know, it's Public Enemy was doing this. Uh, a bunch of other artists were dropping these political things into their their records in the past, but it always felt like it had more of a purpose, you know? It didn't feel quite so toothless and not exactly arbitrary, but impotent, you know?
0: Impotent is, is very much, I think, the right word. I... Every time I play uh, the the newest J Electronica album and start off, started off with and uh, Farrakhan is giving a speech as part of the opening track of that, that sends ch- chills down my spine. I am not someone who uh, yeah, uh, particularly <laughs> likes uh, Farrakhan by n- by any means, but it, it's there's power there and, and there, it's fascinating and even uh, a criminally underrated album. Uh, the Carter, the most recent, the Carter album, I think it was five, uh, from Lil Wayne didn't get much traction, but throughout something like that where he's playing recordings of him being interviewed by the police or a phone call from prison to his mom, I do think there is value to having these sort of spoken tracks interlaced in. Kanye West has done a good job of this. The nineteen seventy five, it, it just seems like they're they're trying to steal something other people have done a good effect without much purpose to it. But I I also want to add, and we've argued about this very much before, I am always skeptical and don't really like music that is expressly, explicitly, or essentially political. I I do think art should speak to politics and, and is important in the political sphere, but I think, I think subtlety and nuance is so much more important. I, I mean, the early uh, Bob Dylan songs where he's um, telling stories about characters who are harassed or abused by the police, or, or the state, or um, uh, there's one, I, the name's Skipping Me, uh, where he talks about uh, how political connections are getting someone off for a crime. That has some real potency behind it. Even Ohio, I, I love and think is a song that does, but songs that are just like Trump sucks, we need to get him out of office, or the, the well, depth. In, in fairness, I
1: think Love It If We Made It does, uh, like Love It If We Made It, their, their big hit, does have a lot more subtlety to it. You know, you don't really realize that it's a quote unquote protest song unless you're listening pretty closely. Uh, there, there is more to it than than that on their previous album but with the the Greta Thunberg sample I don't really think that's quite it Um, but I think that kind of characterized the whole album is they're kind of gesturing towards these these ideas and genres more than like a political thing, you know, the the genre of the the political statement or the sample, like the genre of emo music or the genre of country or the genre of ambient music. They kind of gesture at all these different things, but they never actually do anything particularly interesting with them or make them into anything. And they don't even go here in individual parts. Um, and I think this kind of gets at why I wanted to talk about this, not just to shit on some music that I think is bad, but because I think it's a good illustration of the the idea of hauntology, uh, which is sort of complicated, hard to explain, I think. I don't know. I'll give it a shot here, though. But Jacques Derrida coined the term in the 90s after the fall of the USSR uh, when he was writing about how communism even though it's it's dead you know history's over and everything it still seemed had such a huge presence like sort of a it was like a ghost in the discourse so even though it wasn't actually there it was still always just in the background uh, so it's a portmanteau of haunted and ontology gives you ontology um, and around 2005 or so these two English writers uh, Mark Fisher and Simon Reynolds started using, the term in applying it to music uh, and the idea that anything basically in music and culture in general, I might've been before them, but they're the ones really popularized using it as a critical term in this context of everything is ontological and that you can't fully escape your influences, you know, kind of the Harold Bloom anxiety of influence idea that uh, everyone kind of tries to escape their forebears, but they can't actually do it. But with music, uh, Simon Reynolds and Mark Fisher started to notice that it became really overtly hauntological, as they described it. It kind of just sounded like everything else that came before. There was really no originality attached to it. Um, so any pop music made basically in the past 15, 20 years, you wouldn't be surprised if it came out in the 90s, you know? And I think that's what we're seeing with, with notes in a conditional form, is this just overt hauntology. Uh, it it's just ghosts of songs, not actual songs. You know, there's nothing really particularly fresh or original on it, but it sounds kind of like things you've heard before, and so you could kind of listen to it and throw it in the background and enjoy it and kind of like it, even if you don't really listen that close, you aren't really into it, it sounds familiar enough that it becomes good. And I think that's what the critics really respond to in it, is that it's this... This thing that sounds like other things, but it isn't other things, and they're the Matty Healy and the band are very aware of what they're doing and taking from other places, but they're not doing anything particularly original with it. They're kind of just regurgitating chewed up versions of it.
0: Yeah, every single song feels like they they're just trying on a genre for the song. Um, it there's one a track where they're singing about being on a road trip across the United States. And so, of course, what better form for that to take than an Americana country song to discuss traveling? Which is, in a certain sense, I suppose does make sense. The form does fit the matter, but it, it doesn't feel authentic to me and this is where I struggle with the the sincerity of of what they're doing um and there's in the liner notes they described songs as like a meetup between Brian Eno and Kanye West or this is Jay Dilla plus country and trying to think of your music rather than as a a creation in its own right but as a synthesis of different sources is such an odd, an artificial-feeling thing to me. And I, I don't think it sounds good, but critics love it. Right. Well, I think that
1: what the critics love about it is that they're kind of doing the work of the critic for them, right? In the past, uh, like Harold Bloom kind of articulates with his idea of the anxiety of influence, it was always the the artists always felt the need to kind of throw off their their forebears to do something totally radically different that didn't look anything like what came before them and to do it in such a way they could be easily and distinctly separated from their forebears and better than them and that you wouldn't even notice they had any ancestors, right? They would be just the, the artists created out of whole cloth. And the critic then would, when it came to, to pop culture at least, would then be able to tell you the influences, you know, and kind of tease that out and slot them into a sort of history and dialogue with, what, with the past. Uh, but what the 1975 do is they tell you that right up front, and they're very proud of it. And this is something that, that Simon Reynolds in particular was really kind of annoyed by. Um, he has a, this book of his called Retromania, um, where he interrogates the idea of, of pop culture kind of cannibalizing its own past, but he was really very troubled by the trend that he noticed in the late 90s and early 2000s in particular starting to pick up steam of artists being very upfront and overt about their influences. It just seems like an admission that originality is kind of gone. All you can do is just squeeze together these other things that have already happened and hope you make something that sounds kind of as good as them. Uh, I think the 1975 are doing that, and I think they're creating fine, passable music, but it just isn't anything that is radically different uh have you listened to the the new album by the band hame uh, i think it's called the women in music part three it just came out no last no i weekend. haven't i've Probably listened
0: not. to some of their other music <laughs> but
1: yeah so a lot of the similar praise that uh notes in conditional form was getting was being given to women in music part three uh, i have to say i didn't listen to the whole album i really just couldn't couldn't do it um, but it seemed very similar in that they're kind of trying on different genres and putting them on for a song and being praised for their their use of all these different ideas and, and sounds in a way that ends up trying to be something that's greater than what the sum of its parts is but I think ends up being less and just ends up sounding so familiar it i was thinking earlier today about that uh what was it that greta van fleet review in pitchfork do you remember that yeah they gave it zero stars or whatever um zero out of ten whatever their their ranking system is. in 1975 uh, got some, like an eight
0: or something very high from pitchfork yeah eight point something
1: it was best new music i think so was the ham album uh but the one of the criticisms in that, that Pitchfork piece, The Greta Van Fleet, was that it was seemed like it was designed for an algorithm, right? It was made to come on a Spotify playlist of sounds like X. You know, in the case of The Greta Van Fleet, it was to come on after Led Zeppelin played and to have sound like Led Zeppelin but not be Led Zeppelin. And I feel like every song off of Notes in a Conditional Form and Women in Music Part 3 has that same quality to it, where it seems like it it exists specifically to, to almost game an algorithm.
0: Yeah. I, so, so there's a, a show I, I watched uh, recently that I thought was kind of charming and entertaining uh, on Hulu. And it, it's Dave about the YouTube rapper, Lil Dicky. Um, and, it, and I think this sort of makes fun of him pushes back on, on some of what the 1975's getting at in, in terms of genre. I mean, The entertainment value of of Lil Dicky Dave as a comedian, and this is a, a comic show, is showing how the suburban Jewish nerdy kid, despite being a technically proficient and quite entertaining rapper, doesn't quite work as such because he doesn't have the connections to the genre that that make it meaningful or or the right signifiers and so for him uh, adopting the form can work but the substance being so devoid from what the form ha- has grown up around makes it really jarring I, and at times comic at, at times 1975 i i think uh kind of kind of sad i i The one sort of credit I would give them, though, and 1975 is very open and earnest about this, is uh, they discuss Notes on a Conditional Form being an album of the Internet age, for the Internet age, sort of reflecting how life feels in the Internet. And I do think there is something to that. When we're scrolling Instagram, each post is immersion into... An entirely different world. You see someone on the beach in Hawaii, you see someone riding uh, an elephant, you see someone in a bookstore at a concert. Each image is so personal, and the point of view provides sort of gives you sight into someone else's life and makes you feel like you're a part of it while it also being a very curated life they're presenting. So as we're scrolling through these feeds, it's, it's just this constant jarring between different people and, and their different lifestyles, the different genres they represent, that both form and substance is, well, the substance is the same time and time again, but the form keeps changing, right? E- each person is trying to uh, impress their, their peers, each person's trying to build up their brand, whether it's uh, commercial or just social, but but the form of it is changing and 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 well
1: this is this goes back to that idea of of schizophrenia frederick jameson's concept that we came back to on this show um that as you kind of end up immersed in the sea of content of these various different identities being thrown at you and different things to strive towards each different instagram post gives you a different different thing to, to aspire to and to try to be it ends up just preventing identity formulation entirely and i think that's what we're seeing with you no know, it's a conditional form it it has no identity because it doesn't have anything in, internally consistent it, it's schizophrenic in that jamesonian construct right
0: yeah yeah but i mean and and it, so this next aspect of their work really makes me struggle to, to view this as sincerity and not just a, a cynical cash grab. And maybe the band, uh, Matty Healy himself, is serious and they're just being manipulated uh, for purposes of capital, which I, I think is absolutely true. But they go from describing are we Aren't all? The, yeah, <laughs> um, they go from describing this album as like a representation of the internet. Um, that that that's their their media line about it. And in the lead up to releasing the album, they posted sort of cryptically on their various social media uh, platforms about the need to detox from the internet, to take a break from this life we've all constructed online, and to relax and very sort of, um, you know, lightweight sort of Zen yoga kind of thing that's in vogue. So what they did is they created a website called MindShower.ai. And when you go to it, it's (laughs) really poorly designed. It feels like the old school, I don't know, Disney Cartoon Network uh online games we played in elementary school but it's supposed to immerse you inside this digital spa where you can walk around and click on things you can look at these digital plants you can upload art you can download their media press packages and ask uh, questions of the band I I think you were able to pre-order the music and all throughout the background of this experience while you're digitally detoxing on the internet uh, is their music playing at you without mentioning what it is or why it's there. But it's just a song from the new 1975 album on loop, on repeat. And and all this, uh, if it seems earnest in any way, is sponsored by Amazon Music.
1: Yeah, the the Amazon music tag is all over the website. You know, this is literally one of the most profoundly disturbing things I've ever seen. Uh this is like the darkest thing that the internet has ever produced, uh, with relation to, to music, I think. Um it's just so bizarre and I you know, I I want to believe that the nineteen seventy five is earnest and is really kind of doing their best to a be good and make good music and just kind of falling short because of the unfortunate strictures of our time on this earth but this really makes it hard to believe that this, <laughs> this is this is insane uh i didn't know about this until brad showed it to me um we should link to it on our site when this goes up this is this is horrifying it's, it's torture should, should look at it's it. not
0: digital detox it's digital torture sponsored by amazon music
1: if anybody listening has any sort of of read on what this is or like what it's supposed to be or any like kind of positive gloss on it please tell me because i really don't know i don't get it, it it's it's horrible
0: <laughs> so i i want to propose this and actually i think it get going back to the Gret a bit it helps make sense It could just be that these guys, as Greta, earnestly want to do good for the world and improve people's lives, want to help people detox from the obviously poisonous elements of the internet, want to save the world from obviously deleterious effects of climate change, and are being co-opted by other forces, particularly capitalistic, that are able to make money off of their sincere endeavors, and do so without them really recognizing it. I I think Greta very much has been used as a political token to drum up fervor, to gather support for politicians whose cause is kind of hollow in terms of of solving the problems, uh, she she she's concerned about, and and I think, I mean, to make a website like this, you have to be earnest. I I think in trying, uh, as crazy as it is, in trying to, to create a relaxing space on the internet or with this album, trying to, I I I I think just power is stronger than the artists or activists at hand um, are distorting it. Yeah. And convincing them it's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I you know, I, I, I think that's accurate. I I also I don't know. I think that they stray so hard into self parody in a way that is is you know, even though I was just arguing for them to be taken really serious that they take themselves very seriously, it it becomes difficult to to continue to believe that. Um, in particular, uh, my favorite song off the, off notes in a conditional form is called If You're Too Shy, Let Me Know, which is an ode to consensual Skype sex, um, which is just hilarious as a concept, but is played totally straight. Um, and I was trying to figure out what it reminded me of. And in an essay that I was reading the other day about the movie Heathers, uh, the nineteen eighty eight or whatever with Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. Uh, this essay was about how it's actually an allegory for the Catholic takeover of pagan spaces. But the thing that it reminded me of is apparently there's a song that I totally forgot about in that movie that was like a parody of bad pop music. Uh, that was called "Teen Suicide." Don't do it. Uh, that's if you're too shy let me know it just seems exactly like that it... is
0: is that the song where they sing I might love you if you took off your clothes or is that I don't another... think so I
1: think that's a different one oh,
0: that's a different ballad off the album yeah I hear you about the varying in a self parody I I feel so bad for this this girl Greta she, she she's too young to have gotten all the publicity and all the things said about her, good and bad, it it seems like it's going to screw up her life. But she also veers into self-parody, and I I am fairly convinced that that is not intentional. I I think she is too young to have any i t- to to be purpose. I, I think she is absolutely sincere, and I, I don't think there's any reason to point otherwise. And, and I I think maybe that's just a... The self-parody is... I don't know. Sorry that this isn't really coming to a good point, but I, I used to doubt you about the sincerity, but there's no reason to think that the artist or activist himself isn't entirely serious but the way it's used or marketed absolutely is cynical and there i have no doubt about
1: that yeah i think part of it just it's impossible to take anything seriously anymore you know it is nothing nothing can actually be earnest uh the internet has poisoned us all with irony i
0: the, there's an a wild rolling stone interview that Matty healy did Um, the opening line of it (laughs) uh, is Matty Healy knows why he's been cancelled, singing an Americana song about traveling on the road and having a homophobic slur shouted at him. So in the song he he uses the slur obviously, but the the song written is quite obviously is being critical of that being done and maybe there there was some sort of Controversy about him using it in the song, but I mean, I, I how how can Rolling Stone call the lead singer of the biggest band of twenty twenty, the most popular album, who's getting accolades from every corner of the critical world? How how can they call him canceled?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's just this is a complete misunderstanding of of how words work I don't even know what that is um
0: yeah Yeah. and I I think that misunderstanding or duplicity just pervades Uh, I I think from the same interview Healy's talking about trying to come up with a name for the album and, and he describes it it was like an essay I gave them a framework of understanding that they could hang their opinions off of describing their last album he says notes on a conditional form is the opposite of that it's called Notes on a Conditional Form. It literally means nothing. To which I add, it literally has a meaning. <laughs> I I mean, it may it's a little abstract and, and a little snooty, but Notes on a Conditional Form very much means something. That there is a plan for an album, uh, a a way of doing something that was perhaps not completed. It's conditional and notes on how it's planned to occur. I mean, kind of a silly name, but trying to create this vacuosity Uh, in their art. It it just confuses me. It frustrates me. It displeases me. Lots of negative. Yeah. And
1: I think we could kind of start to wrap it up because we're just going to keep just raging about it for as long as we give ourselves. But I think that kind of gets the heart of it. You know, it's, it's music about nothing it's it there's nothing beyond what's on the surface and what's on the surface isn't a whole lot and that's what the problem is um and i the reason why i think this matters is not just because the 1975 made a bad album i uh, i think it matters because it seems to be a direction that a lot of art and a lot of music in particular is going uh this emo band that i really like called turnover uh and their most recent album the name of which i can't even remember uh they wrote it deliberately with the intention of it being, like, approachable music. Music they didn't have to know and get their music to listen to. Music that anybody could turn on and like. And it was terrible. Like, the one of the worst records I've ever heard. Uh, Maybe not be that bad, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But compared to the other music, it said nothing like it and it wasn't good. And I saw them on tour in the fall. And it was one of the strangest and most depressing shows that I've ever been to. They sold out the place and... Whenever they play one of their new songs, they looked absolutely miserable. Uh, they like practically apologized for having to play their new music, and by the time they were done with the show, about two-thirds of the crowd had left. Uh, the point is basically that if your music is deliberately empty, it, the listener knows that. The audience isn't dumb. And if all we're getting is spoon-fed empty garbage, all we're going to get is spoon-fed empty garbage but it sucks. <laughs> we shouldn't get that. We deserve better than that.
0: Yeah, it does. I, Peter, I know you're trying to cut me off from just... But I, I want to add one <laughs> and a half last things on this, and then we can stop Uh, just laying into the 1975. I, and there... I think as of late, my preferred form of music has been country music, an Americana of the type I, Sturgill Simpson, Jason Isbell, and all their, uh, I, may rest in peace, John Prine, oh, that that sort of style of music. And Matty Healy says something interesting. Um, he he says that there's a real earnestness to country music that I appreciate. Which, which I, I agree with him. There's something to it. Um, I'm sorry. He, he said, Matty Healy says, There's a real earnestness to country music that I appreciate. Citing a viral tweet from last fall about how both country and pop punk are about living and dying in your hometown. Where he grew up, he adds, hearing country music was rare. For me, country's always seemed kind of exotic and pioneering. And, and it is. To take a form, and I think this happens to rap music as well, that is about a specific mood, a specific sense, and comes out of a certain context. And this one, as he acknowledges being in one locale and trying to come to terms with that, trying to, to take that genre and pastiche it is wrong. And it, it doesn't work, and, and I think is a bad Thing to do. I I do think if there's an interesting article um, th- that was just posted about sort of how how illiberal regimes like the S- Soviet Union, communist China, uh, and also like uh, South Korea deal with different terms of pop music, and it is it is wild how omnipotent in the cultural scene pop music and groups like 1975 or or our various k-pop bands are i do think the only way sort of out truly can be a, a return of real folk music and a sense of rootedness in genre and form being one and the same as the substance i not not just just put on as a facade Uh, and folk music in the broadest sense I mean I I think uh, jazz, blues, rap all of a very specific sort just like country of a very narrow specific sort can be folk music of the people and and telling stories about life but man everything else is just shit needs to be (laughs) put off the radio Yeah,
1: I think that it's less about a return to something that we've had in the past and more about a way of uh, kind of doing what the nineteen seventy five tried to do with embodying our current and present day experience in in the musical form, but it can't be the same form that we've always had is the problem. Uh, you know, you get you get the Beatles when you put the blues in uh, working class England. You know, it's it grows out of out of old forms into something totally new. And we need something more like that than just a a putting on of the old forms in a different context, right? And I think that's more what we see.
0: So I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and I don't mean folk music in the sense of everyone needs to start sounding like Woody Guthrie, but in the sense of telling stories about people and people telling their stories in, in a way where the sound, and the substance the material that's being described are are inseparable and I think early rap music is a great example of a folk music that isn't what we traditionally think of as folk where the matter and substance are are
1: are the same. We need a music of the people by the people and for the people <laughs> all right i think I think we could be done now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you very much for listening um, hopefully you enjoyed yet another episode of that Alia podcast I promise you we are never going to devote an episode to the 1975
1: again unless they do something really weird
0: but I do think it was an interesting jumping off point for a for discussion so thank you for that Diego. thank you Brad